name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. It was most likely a really pretty day in Galilee. And Jesus went down to the edge of the Sea of Galilee, like he did quite often, it seems, anyway. And he he drew a big crowd. Again, something that it seems like he did quite often when he was uh, about. And he went down to the edge of the shore, and uh, he got in a boat. Again, this is something we read that he did several times. He got in a boat, and he pushed off a little bit, and all the people gathered on the shore. In my mind's eye, I kind of see it as an amphitheater. Maybe, you know how normally when you get to the shore, kind of goes downhill, right? So the people are sitting up on the hill, and he's talking to them from this boat. And he tells them this story. It's a story very familiar to most of you, I'm sure, but it was a new story for them that day. And he said a farmer went out sowing, and he was taking his seed, and he was using the broadcast method of of farming, and he was throwing seed out. And Jesus said, some of the seed fell on the hard path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some of it fell upon rocky soil, that is really shallow soil, and, uh, and it came up out of the ground. But as soon as the sun began to cook it, it died. And he said, some of the seed, it fell in some soil filled with thorns, and it came up as well, but it wasn't long before the thorns in the thorny soil killed the plant and, and crushed it and made it die. And then he said, some of the soil, I mean, some of the seed fell in good soil. And he said, that seed brought forth 30, 60, 100-fold fruit. And then, he, and then he made this statement. He said, if you have ears to hear, listen to what I got to say. If you got ears to hear, Listen. Now, later in the day, his disciples pulled him aside, and they said, Jesus, why do you do that? Why do you teach with these stories and then don't apply them, don't help us understand what they mean? Why do you do that? And here's Jesus' answer, and it's going to be the point of, of my talk this morning. Here's what Jesus says to them. He says, because the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given for you to know, but it has not been given to them. Now, Matthew would comment on that a little bit later in the same chapter, verse 34, and this is Matthew's commentary. He said, Jesus did not tell them anything without a parable, so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. I will open my mouth in parables, now here it is, and I will declare things kept secret from the foundation of the world. Those are the words of of Jesus. Or the prophet, excuse me, from the, from the Old Testament. Now, Jesus makes it clear that his goal is to reveal truth to people that are interested. He wants to speak the truth to people who are, are looking and seeking. But at the same time, his goal is to hide truth from people who don't really care. In fact, Jesus quotes Isaiah and he says, I'm just doing what Isaiah prophesied would be due a long time ago. When he said that people will hear, but they'll not listen. They'll look, but they'll not perceive. You may be wondering, why in the world would Jesus do that? Why would, he, why would he teach so as to hide truth from people? Well, my personal thought is that the reason he did that was it was an act of judgment against Israel. He is particularly hiding truth from them so that they will continue to walk in their unbelief. And this is a judgment from the Lord, in my estimation anyway. 
I think it would, we would liken it to what happens in the Old Testament in the book of Exodus when, when Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go, and then he begins to bring these, these events against Egypt, and each time it says, Pharaoh hardened his heart, and Pharaoh hardened his heart, and Pharaoh hardened his heart. But at some point, the text begins to change. And it begins to say, God hardened Pharaoh's heart, and God hardened Pharaoh's heart. That was a judgment against Pharaoh. In fact, in in the book of Romans, the apostle Paul says that God was doing that as a judgment against him because he has the right to harden, that is to stiffen. The word means to make strong, if you would, to strengthen a person's heart in their resolve. And so what Jesus is doing is nothing different than what God did with Pharaoh in Egypt. He's hardening the heart of the Jews so that he might bring about the crucifixion of Jesus and, and our salvation through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And so it is a judgment against them. That's the reason why he's speaking in parables. So those that are interested and those that are seeking, they can find out the truth. But those who are not, it's just a way of hardening them. Now these Sundays, if you happen to be our guest, let me tell you what we've been doing. We've been talking about the kingdom of God. And we've called, uh, we've called this series uh, the kingdom already but not yet. And uh, over the last couple of weeks, the first week we talked about what is the kingdom of God, and we defined the kingdom of God to be the rule of God over, over his subjects, that over, over the people who put their trust in him. He rules over us. He has the power to do so, and uh, we are his subjects. And we said there's one peace to a kingdom that's missing and that that God's kingdom doesn't have territory right now. His kingdom is found in all the territories of the world, but there's coming a day when his kingdom will be realized and Jesus will be king over all the earth and the government will be on his shoulders. And that's what we're actually looking for. And then last week we talked about uh, the king himself. What is King Jesus like? And we said he's different than any other earthly king and that he lays down his life for his subjects. He doesn't ask his subjects to lay down their lies for him. Well, he does. But you know what I mean? He actually dies for them, for his subjects. He says, I'm going to be a king, but I am like your father. But he also said, I'm going to be your judge. He said, I will judge in the end. But today, what I'd like to do is I'd like to look at the secrets of the kingdom that uh, had been kept from the foundation of the world. Now, as I was working on this, it occurred to me that If we put ourselves back into the time period when Jesus is speaking, Matthew 13, these were secrets. These were things that people didn't understand. But I got to thinking, many of you know these secrets, and they really won't sound like secrets to you. They'll be things that you know and have known maybe all your life if you've been following Jesus and been listening to the teaching of God's Word all your life. They're not going to be secrets to you. But imagine this. They are secrets For the ones that are hearing them for the first time, these are things that Jesus is revealing to them about the kingdom that they would not have known. Here's, here's, there's six of them. Here's, here is secret number one. When a person truly enters the kingdom of God, their life will change. When a person begins to follow Jesus, their life can't help but be transformed. That's the secret of the kingdom that Jesus reveals to them. He tells his disciples what the story meant that he told from the boat on the edge of the shore. He tells them what he meant. I'm just going to read his words for us. When anyone, this is Jesus, when anyone hears the word about the kingdom and doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the one sown along the path. And the one sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, but he has no root and is short-lived. When distress or persecution come because of the word, immediately he falls away. 
Now the one sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the worries of this age and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And here it is, but the one sown on the good ground, this is the one who hears and understands the word, and who does produce fruit, and yields some 100, some 60, some 30 times what was sown. So Jesus helps us understand his story. For those of us that want to hear, he says, here's what it means. You know, the seed, that's the good news of the kingdom of God. And when it falls on the path, that's like somebody's heart who's really hard, doesn't really listen, doesn't really hear. He says the evil one comes and just takes that away. It doesn't take any root, never bears any fruit. Nothing happens there in that person's life. He says, but then some of the news of the kingdom of God falls on people's hearts, but they're sort of like the, they're like the, the rocky soil. It's not very deep. It springs forth, but as soon as the sun hits it, and he tells us the sun, he mean, by the sun he means persecutions and hard times because of following Jesus, he says they fall away. He says some of it is on, falls on ground that's sort of like got a lot of thorns in it. You remember that? And he says, well, that's the person who gets, um, I won't say squashed, but that's choked out. Well, he gets choked out by all the concerns of this world, the, the things of, the, of life now. He says they get, the kingdom gets choked out by that and, and they don't bear any fruit and they die. And he says, but then there's people, people whose hearts are really, I mean, they're open to what God is doing. And when the seed of the kingdom of God falls on their heart, man, they, they receive it. And he says their life changes. They begin to bear fruit. They bear fruit 30, 60, 100-fold. Now, earlier in Matthew's, in Matthew's gospel, Matthew's good news, he, he's talking to his disciples, and he says this to them. He says, you know, you can tell a true kingdom teacher from a false teacher. So guys, know that you can. Here's how you know. You look at the fruits of their life. I think Jesus had in mind the very same fruit that he's talking about here, the, the very same the fruit that the, the false teachers would have or the good teachers would have. It's the same fruit that he's saying that his disciples have. So the question we ought to ask ourselves then is, what is that fruit? He doesn't define it for us, and so people have suggested different things. But, but I, I want to tell you what I think the fruit that Jesus is talking about is. I think the fruit that he's talking about is what we call today the fruit of of God's Spirit in our life. I think the fruit that God says that we bear forth, that our life changes to produce, and the fruit that every good teacher has is the fruit of love. It's the fruit of joy. It's the fruit of peace, of patience, of kindness. It's the fruit of goodness and faithfulness to God. It's the fruit of faithfulness to God. It's the fruit of gentleness with others, and it's the fruit of self-control in my own life. And most assuredly, it includes, includes the fruit of faith and, and humility and maybe even hope. So being a part of the kingdom, here's the secret that he was telling, you, telling them. If you're a part of my kingdom, God's going to change you. And you're going to bring forth this fruit so your life is going to be different. You can't remain the same. Uh, a few weeks ago or last week even, I said when Jesus, this is a quote from Andy Stanley, when Jesus is your king, he makes your life better and he makes you better at life. And the reason he makes you better at life is because he comes into your life and he transforms you and he changes you. Here's the second secret. The kingdom of God will exist among the kingdoms of this world until the end. And then God will separate to himself his people and his kingdom. Remember, this is a secret that they're learning for the first time. And they would have had this idea that the kingdom of God is going to come in with, with gangbusters, right? This is going to come in and, and take over. And, uh, and Jesus is saying, no, the kingdom of God is going to exist 
among the kingdoms of the world. And he tells another story. And in this story, he says a farmer goes out and he plants good seed in his field. And he says, but at night his enemy comes in and he plants weeds in the field. The next day or next month or whenever the fruit begins to come in, the, the plants begin to come up, the servants notice that it's got, it's got harvest food in it, but it's also got weeds in it. And they go to the master, they go to the farmer and they say, they say hey, somebody has sown weeds amongst the, amongst the crop. What should we do? Should we go and rip it out? And, uh, and the farmer says, no, don't rip it out. Because if you go and rip it out, you know what's going to happen? You're going to rip good stuff up too. So we're just going to wait till the very end. And at the very end of time, he says, I'm going to send my harvesters out. And they're going to, they're going to harvest it all. And they're going to separate the weeds from the harvest. And they're going to harvest, or barn the harvest. And they're going to burn the weeds. Later on, Jesus would describe this, or, or he, would, he would tell his disciples what it meant. Let me, let, me read it to, let me read it for you this morning. So again, Jesus says to them that when they ask, what did that one mean? We don't know. He said, well, here, let me explain it. The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. And the good seed, these are the children of the kingdom of God. So this is a different analogy. Don't think of the last one. It's different. The things mean something different. He tells us the seed is the children of the kingdom. He's the sower in this particular case. And the field is the world. He continues, the weeds are the children of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is at the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. Therefore, just as the weeds are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out His angels, and they will gather from His kingdom all who cause sin and those guilty of lawlessness. And they will throw them into the blazing furnace, and there there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then the righteous will shine like the sun in their Father's kingdom. Let anyone who has ears let him listen. So here's the secret of the kingdom that Jesus is telling them. He's saying, you know, while the world is going on, the kingdom of God is going to be dispersed among the kingdoms of the world. I mean, you're going to grow up together, he says, among people who don't belong to God. You're going to coexist side by side. He says, no, but one day's coming when God's going to separate them. And we'll talk more about that in a, in a minute because I think there's another, another secret that Jesus reveals about that that's more specific to that. But what he's saying here is that right now we're living amongst people who don't belong to the Lord, that are not a part of his kingdom. And he says, one day, you know, he's going to separate us and we're going to shine like the sun in our father's kingdom. And that is true. But can I say this to you? Listen to me, brothers and sisters, you are to shine as a part of our father's kingdom even now. I mean, don't wait to shine when we're all shining together. That'll be great. I mean, the world's going to shine. And that's, I think, Jesus' point. But, but we are to be shining even now. We're to be standing out amongst the nations of the world today. Third secret. First secret, okay, we will change. The second secret, we will grow up together uh, amongst people who don't know the Lord. One day God will change that, but for now that's the case. Here's the third secret. The kingdom of, the, of God will start very small, but grow to fill the earth. And he tells us two little stories here. I'm at verse 31. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all the seeds, but when grown, it's taller than the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the sky come and nest in its branches. And then another one, right behind it. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and mixed in 50 pounds of flour until, until all of it was leavened. 
Now here's the secret that he gives us with these two vignettes. It is that the kingdom of God isn't going to start with a lot of fanfare. In fact, it's going to start very unpretentiously. It's going to start with 12 guys and a rabbi, and it's going to grow to 120. Isn't it hard to believe? Listen to this. Isn't it hard for us to imagine that a carpenter turned preacher could change the world like he has? That a guy without a gun without the force of I'm going to kill you kind of thing, could just with the message that I'm going to give you eternal life and a part of my future kingdom, that that itinerant carpenter turned preacher could change the world. Start small, doesn't it? But it's going to grow. And here's the point of the two parables. Just like the seed is so small, the mustard seed, it grows this large plant. And just like you put a little leaven in something and it leavens the whole, the whole flower lump, In the same way, the kingdom of God is going to spread throughout all the earth. That's what he's telling them. This is a secret. Now, we know it today, but it was a secret for them. Hey, the kingdom of God's not going to come in with this this tsunami. The kingdom of God's going to start really, really small, but it'll eventually fill all the earth. Did you know today that the kingdom of God is to the four corners of the globe? There are 2.3 billion people who claim to belong to the kingdom of God China has 1.4 billion people in it, which is the largest nation population-wise in the world. 1.4. The kingdom of God claims 2.3 billion. I realize that probably those 2.3 billion people, that they're probably not all people of faith. But what I want you to notice is that the kingdom of God is bigger than any earthly nation when it comes as far as people are concerned. The kingdom of God has grown from 120 in the upper room to what we see and know today. And it's continuing to grow. I know we can be pessimistic, and I know that we can say things are getting worse, but they're really not getting worse. They're actually getting better in the world. I mean, poverty and such things of this, that, those are things that I believe are attributed to us, the people of God, who are changing the world. There's a lot of work left to be done, but I want you to see that the secret that Jesus revealed It's come to pass that his kingdom has grown and has and is filling the world. If we go back to the Old Testament, we can see that God was telling telling us this already. Back in the book of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar, who's the king of Babylon, you know, he he has this dream. For those that may not know the story, he has a dream. And, uh, you know, instead instead of going to his wise men and said, here's my dream, tell me what it means, he went to his wise men and said, I'm sick of this. I'm not going to tell you my dream. You tell me my dream, and then you tell me what it means. And, of course, they said, none of us can do that. But if you remember the story, Daniel did it. Daniel was one of God's people. And And God gave him knowledge of what the dream was and what it meant. And and I'm not going to go into all the dream, but the last part of the dream that the king had was that a piece of the mountain would come off and it would roll down the hill and it would crush this statue that represented all the kingdoms of the world. It would pulverize that kingdom and then it would grow into a mountain. And here's what Daniel told the king that would fill the earth. Now, here's Daniel's interpretation of that dream, chapter 2, verse 44. And in the days of those kings, the God of the heavens will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. By the way, the kingdom of Jesus is already, and it will never be destroyed. And this kingdom will not be left to another people. It will crush all the kingdoms and bring them to an end. But it will itself endure forever. You saw a stone break off from the mountain without hand touching it, and it crushed the iron, bronze, fired clay, silver, and gold. 
See, the secret of the kingdom of God that Jesus is saying is that his kingdom is going to fill the earth. And in fact, one day, this is so awesome, everyone, one day his kingdom will be the kingdom of this earth. He will rule over all the earth. And we need to be looking for that. Number four, secret. To be a part of the kingdom of God is worth trading everything else of value. Remember, this is a secret. I mean, they don't, they don't know this stuff. They're learning this stuff. And he says, here's something I want you to know. He gives them two more images. He paints two images. Here's verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure buried in a field that a man found and reburied. Then in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. And then he follows it up with another picture. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he finds, when he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. And the first, in the first story, I mean, this is, you need to put yourself back in those days. You know, there were no banks. People buried their treasure and then they died. They were killed in an accident. They had a heart attack and nobody knew where their treasure was. So the rule was, if you found a treasure in some field, you could hide it, and then you could go and buy the field, and the treasure would be yours. And Jesus says, you know, it's like as if the, the kingdom of God, if you find the kingdom of God, it, it is so valuable. It is worth you trading everything you have so that you can possess the kingdom of God. And then the second picture is very similar. He says, it's like somebody who's hunting for find pearls. He finds the pearl that is above all pearls. He says, man, it is worth that person to sell everything he has that he might have that one priceless pearl. Here's the secret of the kingdom of God. It is priceless to be a part of. It is, it is more valuable than anything. And that's why, listen, listen carefully, that's why for millennia people have been trading their possessions. It's why they give up relationships. Some of you are romantics, and, and relationships are the thing that's most valuable to you, but you give, people have given them up, given them up so that they might have Christ. I think of Lottie Moon. This isn't in my notes. This is a freebie. Lottie Moon, you know, was uh, dating this guy who didn't share her conviction of the scriptures, and Lottie Moon gave up that relationship even though she was in love. My point is that people have been giving up possessions, relationships, listen, even their very lives because they recognize the value of the kingdom of God. This past week, Pastor Lawan Andimi, I'm probably not saying his name right, but he was abducted a, a month or two ago by Boko Haram and this past week, he was beheaded because he would not renounce the Lord Jesus. And uh, he, was, he was killed because he said, I'm not going to deny the Lord. Adani, Adan, Adimi was a church leader, a father, and he was a community, he was a father to the community he served. What do you value most? What would you be willing to say the kingdom of God is more valuable to me than this. What is it? And then, then how, is it true? Is the kingdom of God more valuable to you than that? You know, I don't know why this came to mind, but today, literally around the world, there are hundreds of thousands of people in refugee camps. And you know what they're all hoping for? 
They're all hoping to win the lottery. You know what the lottery is? They get to come to the U.S. or they get to go to Germany or they get to go to England or they get to go to Australia. And, and they know how priceless that is to be a part of those Western, I'm going to use the word kingdoms there just, just to keep the analogy going. They know how valuable it is to be a part of that kingdom or those kingdoms because in those kingdoms you find freedom and you find prosperity. You find the opportunity to be free and to use your freedoms. And so they recognize the value of that and they're not confused. Let me do something for just a moment. Can I tell you why the kingdom of God is so valuable and why you ought to be willing to trade everything to be a part of it? Here's why. Here's, here's, here's Jimmy's reasons why the kingdom is so valuable. Because in the kingdom is life, eternal life. Okay, I, I mean, you get to live in the kingdom of God. Now, I know there are people here, maybe there's people here that you're depressed or maybe you're despairing. Maybe you've even thought about suicide. I get there's, there's always outliers to what I'm saying, but most of us want to live. Most of us don't want to die. We want to live and we want to live forever. And here's what the kingdom of God, here's what Jesus as our king promises us. He promises us that we get to live forever. But it's not just that we get to live forever. Here's why the kingdom is so valuable. Because you'll, you'll get to live with the creator who has loved you from the beginning. You're going to get to live with him face to face. Not for, just for a little while. Not just for 70 years. But forever and ever, you're going to get to live with the creator. And, and you're going to get to know him in a way where you touch him and you see him. And he walks with us as one of us. That's what you're going to get one day. The kingdom of God is so valuable because it's life and it's life, not just with the creator, but listen, it's, it's life with you guys. It's life with each other. I mean, I don't know if that's valuable to you. I, I tell you, you know, prior to Shep dying, I haven't mentioned him in a while, but it fits here. So let me just talk about him for a minute. You know, prior to Shep dying, you know, my dad died, my grandmother died. And, and you know, there's, there's a sense, whatever, but with, with Shep's death, the kingdom of God became so much more valuable to me. Can't explain it. Not that my son's worth more than my dad or my grandmother, but it changed for me. And the value of the kingdom, of getting to spend eternity with my children, meant the world. But it means the world to me also, you know, that I'm going to get to see Doug again. And I know Doug hasn't died, but but for all practical purposes, Doug is, is dying, and, and you know, and I'm, but I'm gonna get to see him again. This isn't the end. This isn't the end. You see the value of the kingdom. If you love the person sitting to your left or to your right, if you love the person in front of you, and you would love to spend eternity with them, that's the value of the kingdom. And that's why you should be willing to give your all to say, I wanna be a part of this kingdom where Jesus is king. In the kingdom is life with joy. I mean, listen, everyone, joy is not just happiness, but I think there's going to be lots of happiness in the kingdom of God. But, but joy is that sense of, of satisfaction and peace and well-being. And in the kingdom of God, we will have life with joy. One more. And I, I probably could go on, but these just jumped off. These just jumped out of my heart and onto my page. The kingdom of life, it, the kingdom of God is so valuable because it's a kingdom where life has fulfillment. 
where life is not just filled with joy, but there's going to be purpose and fulfillment. I, uh, I listened to a talk, some of us listened to a talk by a lady by the name of Stephanie, and this isn't what her talk's about, but she was talking about Viktor Frankl and a book he wrote on, the, on meaning in life, and, and Mr. Frankl was in the concentration camps, and he came up with a formula, I think it was despair equals suffering minus uh, purpose or minus meaning. And he said, you know, he, he, he committed to himself he would not commit suicide in, in the concentration camps. He said, I'm not going to do that. But he also wanted to help people. And he said, you know, despair equals suffering minus meaning. He said, I can't change people's suffering, but I can give them meaning. And so to lessen their despair, he continued to try to pour meaning into their lives. I'm telling you, everyone, the kingdom of God is going to be so, is so valuable because in that kingdom, all of us will have purpose and meaning. And by the way, can I make a suggestion to us? You know, if you want to change evangelism to be something that's a whole lot easier, change your mindset and offer to people the kingdom of God. Offer to people the kingdom, to be a part of the kingdom rather than escaping eternal conscious torment. Offer them the opportunity to be in this kingdom that is so valuable. Number five, secret. Number five, secret. The kingdom of God will be fully established at the return of Jesus. Look at verse 47. Again, another, another parable. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a large net thrown into the sea. It collected every kind of fish, and when it was full, they dragged it to the sh- shore, sat down, gathered out the good fish into a containers, but threw out the worthless ones. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will go out, separate the evil people from the righteous, and throw them into the blazing fire, or furnace, excuse me, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And here's the secret that Jesus reveals to them. He says, the kingdom of God has come, but it's not going to be finalized till the very end. And the focus I want to put in this parable is that Jesus says, the kingdom's like a fishing trip. We're going to go fishing, and we're going to take our net, and we're going to cast our net. And, uh, you know, I haven't been net fishing too many times, but I have been out there when we've been net fishing. And as you pull it in, you just pull it in, and it's got all kinds of crazy things in the net. And you got good fish, and you got eels, and you got stuff that you don't want to keep. And you pull it all in, and once you've got it in, you sort it out. And you keep the good fish, and you throw the bad fish away. That's exactly what Jesus says the kingdom of God is like. We're on a fishing trip, if you would. God is fishing. And he's going to be fishing to the end of the age. Notice that. When does this all come to pass? It doesn't come to pass until the very end uh, of the kingdom. And he says at the very end is when God's going to take his angels and he's going to separate people of faith, righteous people, from people of unbelief, which he calls evil people. And he's going to throw them into the blazing furnace. And as for us, he will usher us into the kingdom of God. He's going to separate God's people People from his kingdom, and he's going to separate from them from people who are not of his kingdom. And to the righteous, he's going to say, enter into the joy of your master. Enter into into my kingdom. And I got pictures of us skipping like calves out of the stall. Where does that come from? Malachi, right? Malachi, that's what it says. We're going to be skipped like calves, being let loose from the pen out into the kingdom of God. Enter into the joy of your master. Enter into the joy of the kingdom of God. (laughs) Isn't that just awesome? I can't even make some of you smile. This is so good. This is so good. But for the unrighteous, they'll be cast into the furnace of fire where they'll be destroyed and they'll be thrown in with weeping and gnashing 
of their teeth. The hope of every New Testament writer, and I tell you, this is, if, if anything I say today embeds itself in your heart, I hope it's this. The hope of every New Testament writer is the return of Jesus. It's the return of Jesus and the ushering in of the kingdom of God. Here's what Paul said to Titus. He says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts and to live, in a sensible, uh, to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself Jimmy Acre and a people for his own possession eager to do good works. You can put your own name there. You can put your own name there. To cleanse for himself you for his own possession for his kingdom. Peter, Peter says it like this in his second letter. He says, dear friends, don't overlook this one fact. The, the, with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. The Lord does not delay his promise as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not waiting, uh, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord, that's, that's what we're talking about, the return of Christ. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief on the day when the heavens will pass away with a loud noise and the elements will burn and be dissolved and the earth and the works and the works on it will be disclosed. Since all these things are to be dissolved this, in this way, it is clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness as you wait for the day of God and hastening its coming because of that day the heavens will be dissolved with fire. The elements will melt with heat. But based on his promise, we wait for the new heavens and the new earth where righteousness dwells. Here's my point. Jesus is going to realize his kingdom. Here's what his secret was. Hey, you're going to live amongst the nations of the worlds now, but one day, like a big fishing trip, God's going to drag in his net, and that'll be the end of the fishing trip, and he'll separate his people and welcome them into, the, into his kingdom, and he'll separate others away from him. And, and not be in his kingdom. Now, look at your text. I, don't, I didn't write the verse down, so I'm not sure what verse it is. Maybe it's going to be the verse after uh, probably 51 maybe. But notice in 51 or 52, Jesus says, have you understood all this? You all see it? He says to, he says to his disciples, have you understood all this? You understood these secrets. Have you got it? I want you to get it. Have you got it? And they say, yes, we've got it. Then he gives them one more secret of the kingdom. I couldn't have told you this one before this week. I mean, I've read it, but I couldn't have told it to you. But here's the last secret. And, and, I, and I'm going I'm to say it like this. Here's the last secret. Being a member of the kingdom means one is a continual learner. You say, wow, well, how do you get that? Look at the verse, verse 52. Therefore, he said to them, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom treasures new and old. Now Jesus says, teachers of the law, people, people from the old covenant who taught the law, he says when they come to know Jesus, when they come to know and understand the kingdom of God, he says they can teach from both the old and the new. 
They're teaching from the old and the new. In other words, the Old Testament helps us understand the new, and the new helps us understand the old. And they can bring forth things from both Testaments, and they, and they begin, of course, they don't have a New Testament at this point, but the, the things that they're learning, they're bringing forth both old and new. And Jesus would give us a metaphor at another place where he said, talking about his own teachings, he said, things are changing, and he used this metaphor of new wine. And he says, I'm going to bring a new wine, and you've got to put new wine in new wineskins. In other words, what I'm doing isn't going to fit in this old covenant. That's going to pass away. I'm bringing a new covenant. You need new wineskins because new wine ferments, expands. You need new wineskins to expand with the wine. If not, you put it where they've already expanded. You're going to bust the wineskin. You're going to lose the wine. So it's kind of a metaphor. So he's telling us that he's going to be teaching us new stuff. And Jesus is saying, hey, you teachers of the Old Testament, when you come to know me and you know the, you know the kingdom of God, teach from the old and from the new. But I want to make it a broader, I want to make it a broader application. And I want to say to all of us, we should all be learners of the old and the new. I mean, surely this is a, a secret for the leaders or for the teachers, but if it's a secret for all of us. Be a learner. Be a learner from the old and be a learner from the new. Listen to the things that God has taught us and listen to the things that God is teaching them has taught us in the Old and New Testaments. Be a learner. Always be a student. Always be a seeker. Always be someone who says, Lord, I, I want to know you better. I want to know your truth more. All right, so what does Jesus want to do with these six secrets in our life today? So this, and then I'm finished. Okay, let's take, take a couple minutes. Here, here's the first thing, and, and they're not necessarily in the order of the six that I gave you, but they're, they're, they're one for each of the six. Here's the first one. Value, treasure, appreciate your citizenship in the kingdom of God. Don't take it for granted. Give thanks for it. Prioritize its value in your life. If you're taking notes, write that down. Prioritize the value of the kingdom of God in your life. Make it your first priority. Make it the priority of your resources. Make it the priority of your time. Make it the priority of your family. Make it the priority of everything you do. Because, listen, there is nothing more valuable than being a part of the kingdom of God. So why wouldn't we value it above everything else? Number two, be a fruit bearer, everyone. Be transformed. Don't, don't settle for mediocrity. And, and listen, if dryness is setting in, go find a sprinkler. And, 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 if, uh, and if thorns are choking you out, man, get, get a gardener to come in and get rid of the thorns. But you bear fruit. Be a 30, 60, be a hundredfold fruit bearer in your life. I mean, make a choice. Decide, God, and, and, you know, so does a tree make a choice to bear good fruit or bad fruit? I think over and over again we find the analogy or in the metaphor we find Jesus saying, you don't, get bad, you don't get bad fruit from a good tree and you don't get good fruit from a bad tree. I mean, the tree is the tree and it brings forth what it is. So I guess what I'm trying to say to us is, when I say be a fruit bearer is, man, be, be a good tree, <laughs> Be a good tree. Follow faithfully the Lord so that the fruit that comes out, the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, hope, self-control, self faithfulness. So man, let those things just come because you're somebody who walks with Jesus. Number three, be a learner, everyone. Don't be content just to know what you know. Learn more. Be hungry to know the Creator better, to know His will, to live it out. Number four, accept that you live in a world where people are a part of another kingdom. Man, if we could just get this, I think it would help us in our political conversations with people. Uh, 
we, we live in a world, folks, and, and, and America is that world in which we live, in which we are a part of the kingdom of God, and, and we're living amongst people who don't belong to the kingdom of God. So be careful. Our allegiance is to King Jesus, and we live in this nation in such a way as to represent him. You know, I told you this a couple of weeks ago, the first week I think it was, you know, the Jews cried out, we have no king but Caesar. And what did I tell you the, the Christians cried out? We have no king but Jesus, and we're willing to die for that. And they did. You know how they died? They were, they were nailed to crosses and filled and pasted with pitch and set on fire at night so they would light the roads of Rome. They were thrown into, Colise- into the Colosseum with wild animals and gladiators because they said, we have no king but Jesus. I'm telling you guys, we, we, we live amongst the kingdoms of this world, but we belong to King Jesus. Number five, know that Jesus is growing his kingdom. He's growing it, everybody. He's going to continue to grow it. And he continues to use me, you and me. And by the way, by the way, you used to belong to the other kingdom, right? Jesus says, or Paul says to the Corinthian church, I think it is, he says, but such were some of you. He says, we've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We, we belong to a different kingdom. Such were some of us, but we're not anymore by the grace of God. So know that Jesus is growing his kingdom and help other people change allegiances, right? That's what you should be doing, helping people change allegiance to become a part of the kingdom of God. And by the way, guys, you're not, we're not going to convince anyone to change kingdoms I don't believe anyway, by seeking to run them down with our language and our words. I mean, at the March for Life this week, there were people out on the corner screaming about this, that, and the other with bullhorns. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, you're not going to convince anyone to change allegiances like that. That's my opinion anyway. Number six, and finally, long for the return of Jesus, our King, because when He comes... He's going to realize his kingdom, and, um, and we'll be a part of it forever. So look for it. Pray for it. Long for it. Pray for it. Pray for it. Let's bow our heads. Father, these really aren't secrets for us. We've known these secrets for many years, most of us. But I pray that this morning you would just refresh their truthfulness in our hearts and we would just all the more, Lord, just be, um, be drawn to value you, to value your kingdom, to love you more, to live in light of your kingdom. Lord, we confess that it's real easy every day to, get, to just forget and, and just live with our eyes focused on now and here and this world. And again, Lord, this world does lead to, to the world to come, but... But Lord, you know, we, we don't have our eye on the kingdom of God and on the king. So Lord, help us. That'd be our prayer this morning. In light of these secrets, Jesus, that you taught us, Lord, may our, our focus and our attention and, and our hearts be, tor- uh, be toward you, be changed. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check out our website at baconscastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing locally here in Surrey. Be blessed.